What's up, everybody? What's up online? What's up, outside people? We love you. We see you. We're glad you're here. It was like 15 years ago, and it was a day very similar to this day when Britt and I got into one of what is easily our top 10 arguments. By argument, I mean screaming match. Um, we were young newlyweds. One of the cars had broken down, so we were sharing one car. So everywhere we had to go, we had to go together. And so it was a Sunday morning, and I was working at a church in southern Indiana, and I was a young pastor taking my responsibilities very, very seriously. And we were supposed to be out the door, what I would say is about 15 minutes ago, and I look over at Britt, and she's not even in the neighborhood of being ready to go to take me to work. I mean, not even close. We're not even talking like make, I mean, you're in your pajamas. I, my job started 15 minutes ago and that's the problem with you. You don't respect my work and I'm trying to serve our good Lord Jesus Christ and here you are, you sinner, and get in the car and we got to go. And she said, I'm not a sinner. I want to look my best for you and for Jesus. You're welcome. And I was like, this is not appropriate. It's now 20 minutes. We got to get to this thing. And I don't know if you've ever had a screaming match with your spouse. I have. We do. Um, I'm sorry if that disqualifies me as being a good pastor to you, but it's the truth. So I'd rather be honest than um, try and present something I'm not. But anyways, I don't know if you've ever had an argument in a very, very small automobile. Like we were in a two-door, our only car at the time is this two-door Hyundai Accent. And I mean, you're touching, your shoulders are just touching in the Accent. We, I wouldn't even fit in the car now. And, and you're the problem, no, you're the problem, no, you're the problem, no, you're the problem. And like, I mean, we're screaming. And we get to church, I'm ready to tuck and roll. I'm like, pull up to the door, I'll jump, I'll slide in this side, we'll get there, nobody will know, the whole thing will be okay. We roll into this massive parking lot and the whole thing is completely empty and we realize it was daylight savings time and we had not put our clocks ahead and the thing is we were arguing about being late to church not realizing that we were an hour early for church and so I tell you that to tell you this morning if you're a little slow waking up or you feel a little disoriented because of this whole daylight saving situation, well, you're okay and it's going to be all right. I'll tell you what's going on this morning. We're in this series called Acts Masterclass. And so what we do here at Momentum is sometimes we teach topical sermons where we talk about like a topic from our lives, like your finances or your relationships or your goals or something in a sermon. And then we swing the pendulum over here. And then sometimes we just open the Bible and start working through the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And so we finished a series a couple weeks ago called Help, which was tons of topical stuff. And then slowly over the course of a couple years, we're going to be working our way through the book of Acts. And so we did it last year and we stopped for the holidays and then we picked it up last week. We're going to be rolling in the book of Acts all the way till Easter. It's such a great Easter lead up book, that sort of thing. It'll make sense in a little bit. Um, but I'll tell you before we even get into that, that we have Packed with Love coming up next week. And if you don't know what Packed with Love, it is, love is, it's so cool. Instead of having church services in here next week at 10 a.m., we together are going to do this packing project. And, and the kids are too. So in the kids' spaces, they're going to be packing care packages for uh, women at this crisis pregnancy center and for the children of Vista Square Elementary School, which is the most at-risk school in our district, in our area, et cetera. We're going to be giving them gifts. And then in here, we're going to be tables and this organization's coming in that's going to help us pack thousands of meals that go to the country of Haiti. And so 
uh, I just want to invite you to it. If you haven't heard about that yet, you need to know you're welcome here. All our kids' stuff is going to be open. The nursery is going to be open. They've like, they're stretching right now and just getting ready to take care of kids for a couple hours while we're packing things. So nursery's cool. Elementary kids are going to be doing their own packing projects where they're serving, they're helping, and they're giving. And then in here, we'll be doing that. So if you're going to come, just sign up on the app or online or in your emails or something like that so we know you're here. It's just good for us to know how many people we're going to be working with, etc. That'll be super helpful. So uh, we're going to go to Acts chapter 5 this morning. And if you've got a Bible or a Bible on your phone and you want to make sure I'm not making this stuff up, you can pull that out and meet me in Acts chapter 5. And then I'll say a prayer before we study God's Word and we'll dive into it together, okay? So let's pray together. God and Father, uh, there's no one like you. And I know... What, what we need today is not stuff about me or not stuff from me. We want to hear from you. And we just want your Holy Spirit who we're pursuing and learning about and, and trying to meet with to fill the space this moment and speak to us in personal ways. God, would you just step into this space and do what only you can do in our hearts and in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Book of Acts, a quick review for you in Acts Masterclass here, uh, was written by a guy named Luke. So, if you read your Bible, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke wrote the book of Luke where he tells of everything that Jesus did while Jesus was alive. And then he continues in the book of Acts to talk about everything Jesus continued to do through the Holy Spirit and through his church. Now, there's this map we keep looking at. And then it's an easy way to remind you that the book of Acts covers 30 years of history after the resurrection of Jesus and 10,000 miles of gospel expansion from Jerusalem to Judea, all around the Mediterranean Rim, eventually into Europe, from Europe across the Atlantic to us. The faith we have today, this church right here, what you're up to is connected to what we're reading about right here in the book of Acts. The main character of the book of Acts, by the way, is the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's not Peter. It is not Paul. The Holy Spirit is the main character in the book of Acts. And so we are learning about who this Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit empowers us today. As Jesus followers, our lives are to be guided, shaped, formed, and empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit. We've been learning about that as we go. Now, we're almost there, guys. We're almost caught up. When we last left off last week in the book of Acts, there was this scene where Peter, John, and the apostles are preaching the name of Jesus in the temple courts in Jerusalem. So you see the temple, if you've ever had a friend visit Jerusalem, or you see the big temple wall, that's where they were teaching the name of Jesus in the Jewish synagogue. The Jewish ruling council, it's called the Sanhedrin, has them arrested. So the ruling council is kind of like half religion, half government, just blended into one thing. They have these guys arrested. They're taken into a jail. They're put in prison where they're going to await a trial. Well, interruption comes, an angel comes, breaks them out out of jail, sends them back to where they were preaching the gospel and says, I want you to go tell everyone about the new life that is available in Jesus. And then they see, this ruling council sees that the disciples are out there. They're not in jail. Why are they not in jail? What happened? We have no idea why they're not in jail. They're back out here in the temple courts. So then they send these guards out to grab the apostles. Again, they bring the apostles in, um, not by force this time, because there's such a big crowd around them. The crowd's going to turn on the Jewish ruling council. So they're playing it very political and very safe. And so they say, would you guys come with us? And so they march the apostles back in front of the ruling council. And the ruling council goes, 
you guys, enough with this. You guys are trying to blame us for the death of Jesus. You're trying to blame us for, for all these crowds that are creating this uproar. When Rome hears about this, they're going to have our heads. You just need to knock this whole thing off and go back to where you came from and forget any of this Jesus stuff ever happened. And so then in verse five or chapter 5, verse 29, so chapter 5, verse 29, this was our power passage last week. The apostles respond and they go, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, who you killed by hanging on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We're witnesses of these things. We watched it unfold with our very eyes. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. We are officially caught up. Let's go to verse 33. It says, when they heard this, that ruling council, they were furious and they wanted to put them to death. Now, this is what we call trying to out-sin your problems, okay? So they committed this heinous act by crucifying the Son of God, killing him on a cross. They go, we think that will get this whole Jesus movement put away and gone forever. Then, all of a sudden, these followers of Jesus, these students of Jesus, reemerge. And they're saying they're filled with the spirit of Jesus and they're preaching the name of Jesus. They're loving people like Jesus. They're healing people like Jesus did. And wouldn't you know it, this crowd is starting to follow these apostles just like they followed Jesus. So the ruling council goes, hmm, killing Jesus didn't work. Maybe we just continue this. We find reason to kill these apostles of his and we could have this whole thing behind us. Verse 34 says, but then... But then a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Two things in blue here. Okay, this is Bible study note takers. If you like writing in your Bible, trust me, God's not mad if you underline things in your Bible or arrows and stuff. In my Bible, if I'm reading the passage, I'm going to start and I'm going to underline that Gamaliel and I'm putting a little note. And you can just write Paul's teacher. Because in just a couple chapters, we're going to meet a guy named Saul. He's going to become a guy named Paul. Saul, slash Paul, was mentored and trained by Gamaliel. There is a good chance that Saul, slash Paul, was actually in the room while this trial happened. There's this time later in the epistles, these letters that Paul wrote, where, where he talks about having cast his vote against the gospel. The only place Paul would have been where he could have cast a vote against the gospel is in this room. So Gamaliel, this wise old teacher who's well-respected by everybody, stands up and, and, and then he says, hey, let's, let's put these guys outside for a little while. And that's in blue right there because that's just funny. Because if we're studying the geography of this passage, my community group and I were talking about this. It's so funny. They were out in the temple courts. They get arrested and put in jail. Then after jail, an angel sends them back to the temple courts to pray. Then the Sanhedrin calls them again and says, hey, we want to talk to you guys. They're back in front of the Sanhedrin. Gamaliel says, excuse me, gentlemen, can we have a word? Could you guys just go outside a minute? And Peter's just like us. He's like, dude, I told my wife I'd be home to get the kids to bed with her. She's going to be so mad at me. They're just standing there waiting and Gamaliel stands up to address the whole Jewish ruling council. Uh, chapter 5, verse 35, it says this, then he, Gamaliel, addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. 
Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400, 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in a revolt. He too was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. And what the wise old men tells the bloodthirsty council is simply this. Guys, remember our history. We've seen these movements come and go. There was Thaddeus, there was Judas, and you remember what happened, right? They, they killed the leader of the movement, and just a few years later, the movements were dead. We're looking here at another movement. We've killed the leader. We think we know that history repeats itself, so it's safe to assume you don't need to take matters into your own hands. We watched the movement of Thaddeus die. We watched the movement of Judas die. Can I tell you guys something? We will never see the movement of Jesus die. What you do in Jesus' name will never be taken from you. What you do in Jesus' name is the only things you will do that will echo through eternity. So Gamaliel is standing there. The, Ruish, the Jewish ruling council is listening to him. The disciples are off in the other room. Peter's pacing back and forth. He's got to get home for dinner. Gamaliel steps up and he recounts Israel's history. And he's about to say a couple words that I just need you to know are so personal for me and have impacted me personally so deeply. And I believe they are filled with so much meaning for every last one of us today. The next two verses we're about to read are the reason that 10 years ago, Britt and I left a church we had served for eight years, a place where we had spent the majority of our 20s growing up, a group of friends who were like family, a student ministry where we were baptizing students on a weekly basis with a team of leaders who were like our family. We had lived in that community and served it for seven years. And we always had this thing like, maybe God's going to take us somewhere. Maybe we're called to plant a church. And so we were planted there for seven years. The craziest thing was because we always thought we were leaving. We, we had never bought a home. Like, you know, we kind of could, and it was like Indiana. So they'll give you a whole house for like 48 cents. It's crazy. And, and we had never bought a home because we're like, well, we don't want to move and unmove. And we'd done apartment life. And I had this conviction. It was crazy. I was like, man, this is not fair to this congregation we're serving. We've been loving this church with one foot out the door for like seven years. Britt and I pray, we like, we, we're going to plant. We're going to put down roots. Um, we buy this home. And, and I'm just like, the realtor didn't even find it. I found it on Zillow. It was up some hill. It was crazy. It was like acres of property, lake in the back, woods all around it, wild turkey running through the yard. It was crazy. And um, I grew up in construction. And the reason we were able to get our hands on this house was because it was owned previously by a group of hoarders. And I mean, it looked like the TV show. And, and 
and there were boxes and stuff and they just left it. And the story was the people who owned this house had inherited another house and they moved into that house and just let this one sit as their junk house. And they would let their dogs live. They'd pour a big bowl of food out and let the dogs live in the house for like weeks at a time. Um, just like un, what is that, unaccompanied, nobody letting them out. And um, there was this yellow or pink carpet all throughout the house. Uh, I remember when we got the place and um, we ripped this house down to the studs. I mean, again, we did construction. I mean, we did electrical work. We took down walls. We put up walls. We, we did plumbing. We ripped it down to the studs, the hardest part that I will never forget about uh, flipping this house. There's me right there. And that was moments before. If you took a picture three hours later, I would not have this goofy smile on my face because that carpet, um, the majority of it was covered in what was now dried out dog pee. And I don't know if you've ever taken up carpet before, but it's tacked around the edges and all throughout. And, and it was a, probably about a week of taking the shovel and scraping out the carpet that had turned to like a gluish powder the subfloor was stained. I had a mask on because, man, did you ever need a mask for that situation. And, and we would roll it into these sheets and you would cover it and the dust would just cover you and it's days of this. But we finally rehabbed the place and turned it into something beautiful. And I thought we were gonna stay there the rest of our lives until I got to these words that we're about to read. And so, we're sitting in this home. We can, you feel like our ship has come in. And the words we're about to read are the reason. Six months after finishing this project, I put a for sale sign in the yard myself, listed it on Zillow, sold it in my front yard with a handshake, Britt, myself, and an 18-month-old Lucy Allman got in our Toyota minivan and moved into a garage out here that would become our apartment for the better part of a year in the hottest summer San Diego has ever thrown at me. And it's these words. Gamelio looks at Everyone in front of him, he recounts the history. Guys, they killed Thaddeus, nothing happened. They killed Judas, his movement was destroyed along with him. In Acts chapter 5, verse 38, he says this. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. Here it is. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Can I tell you something? If there was ever a passage in the entire Bible that should cause you to look at every last part of your life, your motives, your plans, career, relationships, approach to parenting, approach to marriage, your dating relationships, skills, career, time, your spending habits, recreational activities, 
all that stuff you feel like you're aiming at, if there was ever a passage that should cause you to look at those things and then ask the big scary question, are these things of God? Oh, then it's this passage. Because here's what we are saying. Here's what Gamaliel is teaching you and teaching me this morning. The parts and pieces of your life either fall under the umbrella of God, His rule, His reign, His way, His laws, His desires, His will, His heart, and His word. Let's see if we can do this. Or they fall under the umbrella of self. And there's no gray. There's no, and eh, this is good, that's good, that might be okay, this might be okay. And he says so clearly here, if your purpose your desire, your origin story, the way you're doing things is founded in self. It is destined to fail. But if your heart, your goals, your purposes, your things, your endeavors, your friends, your relationships are being done by God and with God and for God, what does scripture promise? It promises you're unstoppable. What he's saying here, could you go to the next one for me, Nick, is when you do things under the umbrella of God, there's three promises. You're going to experience his blessings. He's going to take what it is you think you want to do, and he's going to give you more than you ever thought you could do. It, it, it's marked by his favor. This word grace in the New Testament, it can also mean unmerited favor. When I've done the hard work of taking the parts and pieces of my life and laying them under the will of God, the heart of God, the provision of God, the ways of God, he promises me back my favor, or his favor. And we get his help. And help matters because when you have the help of God, you'll never be alone. This is basic biblical obedience. Do you remember Joshua 1, verse 7? It says, be strong and courageous and what? Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left. Why? That you may be successful wherever you go. If I was underlining one more word right there, I would do obey because this is cause and effect. This is God's command and God's promise. He says, when you are willing to live a life marked by obedience underneath God's heart, His will, and His way. You're unstoppable. You go, well, that's like Old Testament stuff. Aren't we all covered by grace and it's all good now and we're all blessed and all that stuff? Well, listen to Jesus in John 13. Now you know these things. Now you know my teaching. Now you know my heart. Now you know my will. Now you know my way. Well, now you know these things. What? You'll be blessed if you do them. But the umbrella of self comes with some outcomes as well. 
if I've just cooked this up myself for me because it's what I want at this moment, feels good, sounds good, smells good, looks good. I mean, come on, like God helps those who help themselves, not in the Bible, but sounds kind of nice when I want something. Well, what happens? There's tension. You know why there's tension? There's tension because you want to do something this way, but your soul knows you should be doing it this way, and you end up too in love with your sin to enjoy it because of your God, and, and, and too, too, like, too away from God to enjoy your sin, and there's this moral tension when you've stepped out into something you know He never called you to step into because a part of you knows when Scripture says He set eternity in the hearts of man, He's saying there's a part of you that is dialed into the reality of heaven, and when you're doing something based on self and not on God, there's a part of you that is never going to be happy because it will know the truth. There's always tension here. But there's isolation under the umbrella of self because selfishness always, always, always leads to isolation. And there's toil. Toil is like toxic work. Okay, like work isn't bad. When you go to Genesis, God made us to work. We're to live fruitful, productive lives to His glory, and that's rewarding. Toil is like toxic work, work that you have to do yourself with your strength. It's like one step up and two steps back work. It's, I, I got myself into this mess, and I've got like a month and a half of getting myself out of this mess if everything goes right, and then you get to the end of the month and a half, and you realize you've barely even scratched the surface of solving all your problems because three more problems occurred on the way, and it all goes back to where you started. Plans, goals, and endeavors that were rooted in self. This is Matthew 17, 13. When Jesus says those sobering words, enter through the narrow gate for the wide gate is broad, or, so for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. That's this. That's the whole culture around you. Doing what they want, when they want, how they want. But Jesus says, don't be fooled. There are but two roads. One's narrow, one's wide. One leads to, pro one leads to promise and blessing. The other leads to destruction. Guys, as your pastor... I care so deeply that you would learn to live an unstoppable life of faith. I want it for you because I've seen it for me. And I've never had a time in my life where I've done the hard work of surrendering something to Jesus when Jesus hasn't given me back twice more than I could have ever imagined. It truly is a life that's unstoppable. A mentor of mine summed the whole thing up like this. Pastor Matt Reagan once said, things conceived in the Spirit are maintained by the Spirit. Things conceived in the flesh are maintained by the flesh or have to be maintained by the flesh. 
In, in other words, when I've done the hard work of seeking God and pursuing God and asking God what He wants for me and, and joining with what God wants for me, when I'm under that umbrella down here, I can rest assured that it is His Spirit that is not only going to get me there, it's going to sustain me there. When I do the hard work of following God, His Spirit is going to go with me, go ahead of me, protect me, watch over me. I'll never have to force it because of the one who got me into it is there getting me through it. But when I cook it up in my flesh because it's what I want, it's how I want to do things, this seems like it's going to feel good. I'd like to be here and not there. I want to do it their way and not that way. Then I have to keep pulling it off with my own strength because God never asked me to go over there. It's like those memes. As anybody, I, I process the world in memes now. I don't know why. But that one where they talk about a meme is like a funny photo with some words above it. Okay, so you, we're all probably familiar with that at some capacity. And, and there's those ones where they go, when you lie on the job interview, but you actually get the job. And so it's like all the bodybuilders and that one guy's skinny and like, you know, like oh, they do all kinds of funny ones. But, but what they're pointing out is like, if you lie on the job interview to wiggle into something that doesn't really fit you, that is the worst day of your life. Why? Because now i got to keep pretending to be something I'm not in order to maintain it all. That's the umbrella of self. I did student ministry and worked with college-age kids and young adults, and I've watched these 20-somethings make the same mistake over and over and over again, okay? So it's like 23 years old, and everybody's kind of coupling off, and then, then they find themselves like, well, I'm not in a relationship, and then pull out the app, get in the date, and you go to the date, and you're just like tired of not having somebody so you sit with someone and you know it's not a fit they're like oh, I'm really into cats and you're like you're like the world would be better off without cats and so you're so lonely though you sit there and you go oh my gosh me too I was thinking about getting a cat and then then you go get the litter box and you just got all the stuff and you move a cat into your house because you wanted to impress her and now you're stuck with a cat every day and you don't even like cats and the worst day of your life was when you pretended to be something you're not because you got the, what you really wanted, you got the relationship that way, and now you've got to keep being something you're not if you want to keep being in the relationship. Can I tell you something? The things of God work like that. If you force yourself into some place, God never made you to go. It is the worst day of your life because then you have to keep pretending to be something God never made you to be. But when you do the hard work of walking by faith, letting Him direct your steps one step at a time, when everything in you just wants some clarity about what's coming and He's going, no, I just want you to take this step. You're like, yeah, but that's scary. And He's like, trust me, I got you. That's where unstoppable happens. I want you to live the unstoppable life of faith. So of course we go like, hey, everybody, who wants to walk down the narrow road to destruction or the wide road to destruction? Hey, raise your hands if you want to walk down the wide road to destruction. Nobody wants to do that. Hey, who wants the unstoppable life of God? Everybody wants to. We could go down the street. We could go down to the Otaranch Mall right now and just person on the street interviews like, hey, uh, go to hell or heaven? Heaven. Okay. Uh, God or Satan? God. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. Uh, self or uh, unstoppable life of faith uh, with surprising miracles all along the way. Yeah, I'll do that. Everybody wants this. But how is it still called the narrow road? 
And how is it when I look around the world, this really is a narrow road. There's like a highway running down the path of self and it's attractive. And yet we all want this. What's going on? Here's what it is. And to get to it, like you have to peel back the layers, peel back the church facade, peel back the playing games, and you got to be serious about your heart. On the road to self, there are three drivers in every heart. Here's what they are. My feelings, my wants, and my comfort. And none of these look so bad at, at first. None of these look that toxic or harmful. Who doesn't, we're all supposed to process our feelings and talk about our feelings. Like feelings are good now. In the 90s, feelings were bad. But now feelings are good. Process your feelings. Talk about your emotions. Label it. Claim it. All that stuff. My wants. I mean, you got to have some goals, right? And, and my comfort. Like, what am I supposed to do? Be uncomfortable? But here's the problem. When those three drivers in our hearts are not checked by the way and will of God, they run wild. All of a sudden, my feelings start taking me places that I was never meant to go. All of a sudden, the idea uh, of lingering here and staying in this place where I should not stay with people I should not be around kind of feels good at the end of a long week, and so maybe I'll just linger here. Ch uh, your wants go unchecked by the Word of God, and all of a sudden it's like, well, I want this. I mean, there's nothing wrong with this. I'm not hurting anybody. And since I got that, I got to have this to go with it, and I want to go here, and I want to do this at this time, and I want to be seen. I want to be seen by these people in a certain light. And if I want that, then I got to act like this, and I got to be there. And all of a sudden, your wants are taking you a place you never went, your comfort. I watch so many Jesus followers get sidetracked because they just want to feel comfortable. Or better yet, I want to avoid the discomfort that I feel when I stand underneath this umbrella. Is it better? Yeah. Is it blessed? Absolutely. Is life under this umbrella going to take you some scary places and cause you to do some scary things? Oh, you better believe it. And I watch people who sit under here so comfortably with a little life they've built for themselves. And they're perishing. They even know the changes they should make. They even know the three steps that would bring them right here. The problem is, they stop and they go, that feels uncomfortable. And although it seems so harmless at a surface level, here's why it matters. Life under this umbrella only leads one place. It's poor permanent decisions that are based on temporary desires. Poor permanent decisions based on temporary desires. This leads one place. Show me the pastor who leaves 40 years of ministry behind with a moral failure that totally tarnishes the legacy and leaves everyone in his wake questioning their faith. And I will show you a pastor who was led by his feelings, wants, and comfort. 
Show me the parent who accidentally says some words to a child that will shape that kid's life in terrible ways forever. Show me the parent who says some careless words that will send a child somewhere that parent never even intended for the child to go, and I will show you a parent who let their feelings, wants, and comfort get the best of them. Show me the loud guy in your workplace that just wants to be noticed wants to be seen as competent and capable, so he lets it spill out in every meeting, and everyone knows he's not saying this for our benefit. He's saying this because of how he wants to look in front of all of us. He always has the opposite effect on the crowd around him that he even wants. And what's taking him to this? It's his feelings, his wants, and his comfort. Every single time, the umbrella of self always leads us to permanent decisions that are based on temporary desires. And this is where the Bible gives us a better way. We don't want to live under the umbrella of self. We don't want long-term consequences based on temporary decisions. We want the unstoppable life of God. So what are we going to do? We're going to Proverbs 16.3. It says this, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans. Commit to the Lord. Can you say commit with me on three? One, two, three. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans plans. I, I got to tell you about this word commit. In your Hebrew Old Testament, it, it was the word galal. Galal in the Hebrew text would look like that at the bottom there. They'd actually read it from right to left, and it's this beautiful, powerful word that, that it means to like entrust or, or surrender. I'm going to glow my plans to the Lord. I'm going to lay my plans at His feet. If, if this is where I think I'm going, I'm going to put that underneath God's umbrella, underneath His care. If, if this is how I handle my resources and the money that I've been given, I'm going to commit it to the Lord. I'm going to glow it to His care. If this is where I think I'm going to go one day and what I'm going to do one day and how I'm going to lead one day, I'm going to commit that to the Lord and put it underneath His care. Glow has this really cool meaning. And it literally means to like roll out. Like, could you picture like rolling out like some, some architects or engineers are looking at a building and how they're going to build it and structure it and what they're going to do with it. And there's this big table and somebody rolls out this huge blueprint and there's a group of these women and men around this table making their plans for this building. And that, that's, that's Galala language. It's like, I'm going to lay out all my hopes, wishes, dreams, and desires before God, and I'm going to say, hey, would you come here and, and would you speak to this? I'm going to allow my plans to the Lord, and when I do that, what I'm actually doing is bringing my heart, my life, my plans, my parenting, my wishes, my stuff underneath the unstoppable umbrella of faith. And that matters. You go, well, Matt, what's that look like? Well, when, when we walk by faith, we too have drivers for our life, but it's not our feelings, wants, and comfort. When we walk by faith, here's what we let drive our life. It's these three things. It's God's Word, Christian friends, and the voice of the Spirit. 
If it's not in God's word, it's not God's will. If it's not in God's word, it's not God's will. I've counseled so many, I've, I've at more than once, people have come to me and said, hey, I'm supposed to leave my spouse, God told me to. And I'm like, I love you, and I'm sure you're going through a lot, but I can assure you that is not in his word, and that's not his heart for you. God's number one way of revealing his will to us is through his word. And when I do the hard work of allowing his word to create boundaries for my life, to let it guide my life, to take the wild principles from the life of Jesus and his gospel, and I let it shape my life, I take my identity and I let it be formed by who God says I am, I'm living into an unstoppable life of faith. To its Christian friends, the church word for this is wise counsel. We can say Christian friends and God still knows what we mean, trust me. And I'm going to find people who love me, love Jesus, and love his church, and I'm going to ask them about what I should do with my life. We've, we've developed this practice in my community group. Oh my gosh, in, in the fall, I hope to do this thing with groups. And we found, like seriously, at Momentum, I think we found out how to do groups that don't want to make you want to rip your hair out. Like We actually have good groups that are worth spending time in. And in my group, we've developed this practice where, where it's a group of guys and we meet together and sometimes one of us will have something crazy going on in our life. And, and it could be something as uh, simple as like, hey, here, how do I handle this parenting situation? Or like, hey, I'm thinking of doing this next and uh, wanna go here and there. And like, we, we actually like just submit it to the, the group. Like, guys, I, I don't know what to do with this one. What do you think I should do with this one? And I'm like, I'm telling you, it is the coolest, most real, life-giving practice I've, actually, I've done in my faith. I, I like hope you get to experience sitting down with good, faith-filled people and, and letting them speak into your life because um, one of the greatest gifts God gave us is one another. And as we continue through the book of Acts, we're going to watch all these folks make huge decisions and never do they make the decisions alone. They do it in community. And, and then we do the voice of the Spirit and uh, I was just talking to somebody about the voice of the Spirit. And how do you know it's the voice of the Spirit and not like something you really want for yourself and what you do for yourself? And we're going to learn that as the book of Acts unfolds. Um, I'm just going to go with nagging convictions towards the will of God that you can't get rid of. Nagging convictions towards the will of God that you can't get rid of. And I'm going to go with when you hear several different unrelated sources speaking the same message to you over and over and over again, you can rest assured the Holy Spirit's in that. And for me... 11 years ago, I was at the YMCA down on Main Street, New Albany, Indiana. I was on an elliptical. Don't judge me. It was elliptical day, okay? I had already lifted weight. I did bench, and I was finishing with the elliptical. And, and the phone rang, and it was the guy who pastored this church. And the moment the phone rang, there was this nagging conviction that this is what we had to do. And it was the phone call that said, hey, Matt, here at Momentum, we don't have a youth group, we, we don't have a kids person, and we think you should do it. And, and, and all of a sudden, that was the only thing I could think about. Nagging conviction happened. I asked some friends about it. And they said, Matt, you, you seem like you're ready for a good adventure. We think this is it. I looked at the word and the commandment, go and make disciples of all nations, the same mission that God gave Jesus, Jesus gave us. And I was in this town with 
10 big churches and they're all fighting over the kids, which kids go to camp with which church and it was stupid. It's like, you guys are all going to camp, like just whatever. And I, I heard about this town and how there was probably only about two or three youth groups in this town at the time that actually cared about kids. And I was like, man, there's such a great need there. And it checked out with the word, the friends and the spirit. And that was it for us. So we put the sale sign in the yard, shook a guy's hand, sold him the house I just worked on. And we came here. But here's what I hope you see. This is not just a word for pastors making big decisions about what church to pastor. This is for all of us. Acts 5, 38 and 39 are for you. It could be that decision about should we get a dog or not. It could be that decision about where they want to go or not. It could be that decision about where vacation is this year. Should we buy the car or should we get a used car? Should we try and make this car last a little longer? Should we go here? Where's our next deployment? Should we go to this deployment or that deployment? All of that stuff has a God on the other side of it who desires to know you, to walk with you, and to strengthen you. And your job, and my job, is simply to respond to Him. So I'll wrap on this. Band, you guys can come up and start knocking down umbrellas and all that stuff. We'll finish with one song today. I'm going to end a little different. I, I want to recap with this verse. I want you to just hear it again. I want you to know this is a promise from God to you. Acts 5.38, Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. Why? For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it'll fail. But if it's from God, you're not going to be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. That's what you were made for. We don't want to live under the umbrella of self. We don't want our lives to be driven by temporary feelings, emotions, and what feels most comfortable at any given moment. We don't want poor permanent decisions based on temporary emotions. We want the unstoppable life of God. We want His promises. We want His blessings. We want to allow our lives to be shaped by His Word, by community, and by His Spirit. And through those, we want to lay hold of the unstoppable life we were made for. So we'll finish differently today. We're going to sing, so go ahead and stand up for me. And we're going to pray like we usually do when a message finishes. But I want to do something different. As a community, I want to pray together and for you. So do me a favor. Close your eyes, bow your head right now, wherever you are. And if you have a decision you want God to speak to, large or small, if you have a decision you're making about your life, about where you're going to go next or what you're up to, I'm going to pray for you. I just want you to raise your hand so I can see. And I'm, just, I'm not going to say your name or like where are you, what's going on. But if you're making, if you're in front of a big decision, like it's going to shape you and you want God speaking into it, there you go. With your hand up right now, just keep your hand up. 
I'm going to pray for you right now. God, with hands lifted up, we are saying we need you. With hands lifted up, God, we are saying we want to be a people who are led by you, guided by you, shaped by you. God, we're saying if you got it, we want it. And our confession together today is so often we don't have what it takes. It looks too big for us from time to time. It looks too frightening for us from time to time. So, Lord, we need you moving. We need you doing what you do best and coming to the rescue for us and calling us forward by faith. God, I pray personally for every single person today confessing that they need your help, God, that we, I pray on their behalf in Jesus' name that you would bring answers this week, that you would reveal yourself to us and show yourself strong by providing the direction, the hope, and the courage we need. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you guys sing with me one more time?